Radio Drone. And we have another Radio Drone where you people will be wasting 55 minutes with Brad and I. What's going on, Brad? 55 minutes exactly. No, I'm usually about 20 seconds under. Oh, that's true. Because yeah. I put in, I put I was putting that weird song. Oh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> I'm doing good, man. How about you? Eh, doing all right. Just eh. Just eh. <laughs> Actually, same here. <laughs> that's usually how that's usually how I am when I get done editing something. I just want to have it over with. <laughs> Yeah, have it over with and just be just sit on the sit in front of the computer and wait for comments. <laughs> are you one of those checkers or are you constantly refresh the page to check the comments? I am in the first couple of days cuz the first couple of days or at least like the first day cuz then you get like you get you just get feedback on how well it seems to be going over, especially if it's something that I've done for especially if it's like a pilot for something like 80s Dan or something like that because you'll get the bulk of the comments in the first couple of days so I I do check to look at any kind of criticism or feedback or something that I could do better Brad you check like every 30 seconds what the hell I do do what what what? hello (laughs) oh oh my gosh that sounds like Ed Glazer from Dark Maze Studios I have no idea what you're talking about I think it is Ed Glazer oh my god (laughs) <laughs> hey Ed, how you on, doing? Man? Not too much. What's up with you guys? Not too much. Do Do you check comments too? Oh, I do. I do. Uh, well, yeah. it depends. It depends on what. Sometimes, sometimes I, I make a choice and I say I'm not going to look at comments for this. But usually, that's when it goes off to other sites because you know I'm I'm terrified of what people will say. <laughs> I have to admit, Brad, I always check your site for the radio yeah. drones to see the comments for that. But I don't yeah, know. I, do I don't too. know why I do it because it's not like your your website will let me answer any of them. <laughs> that's just. Oh yeah, with the with the fact that it, it always always marks your comment as spam. Yeah, so it's not li- not like I can respond to anyone that asks me a question at your site. No, I still have no idea why it does that because I mean I guess I would I would understand more if it also did it to other people who clearly aren't spam. But every time I go in there and manually approve one of your comments. I do look to see is is this happening to anyone else and and no no it only happens to like pocketrolex.com or whatever. Well, and you know the weird part? I've done it from two different ISPs. I thought maybe it was my ISP it was tagging, so I did it from Scott's house. Same thing. Now you your your comments Scott? aren't about Viagra, are they? <laughs> no. How many times do I have to tell you I'm a Nigerian prince and I misspelled Nigeria? Okay. Oh, okay. Well, it's, a, it's an honest mistake. Exactly. And he just bought a, and he just bought a new webcam. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, we got Ed on. Ed, what do you got coming out? I've heard you've got some weird little video gamey movie something. I sure do. Um, it's uh, Press Start to Continue, which is uh, the sequel to my film from 2007, Press Start. Press Start Two comes out on DVD on March 11th, and you can get it from my site, shameless plug, darkmaze.com. Do you, how long did this, was it easier for you to make this one with it being a sequel in comparison to the first one? It was a bit. It was sort of sort of that way by design. Um, yeah. We were sort of in a situation where 
uh, you know, the costumes were falling apart already, and uh, <laughs> you know, there were a lot. There, and it was sort of like, okay, we really want to do a sequel, but we have to make sure that we can make this movie. So, yeah. uh, where where can we shoot? Where can we where can we plan to shoot? And we sort of developed the story around what we knew we could do versus sort of the first one, where I said, Kevin, write whatever you want. And Kevin's like, okay, let me write these giant rooftop battles and demons and monsters and stuff. And I'm like, that's awesome. I guess we can't do that, can we? <laughs> well, you don't, Ed, you don't have to give numbers, but does this one have a bigger budget? No, well, it does not have a bigger budget than the first one. I mean, it's, it's the same kind of thing. It's, it, looks, it looks a lot better. Um, it, we shot it in HD, and it's got some really snazzy um, uh, color grading and stuff going on. But, so the kind of, I think in some ways the production value is higher. But uh, again, it was sort of a by design thing where we were thinking, okay, well, what, what can we afford to do? And then let's do that and try to make that look as good as it can. Is it all edited together and everything? Like it's all done. Is it all done? And you just waiting for the release date? Uh, just about. I am waiting on my proof copy of the DVD, uh, which oh, I should get any day now. Fantastic! I'll bet you. <laughs> I'll bet you took just took like a a week or two and just. Oh man! Now I can relax. <laughs> oh, I I can't yet. I'm still we're still doing Not so yet. much stuff. Yeah, oh, but it'll it'll happen though. Oh yeah, it will. And then I'm gonna be like, oh god, I can't wait to do my next project. I know, yeah, I, I, you yeah, know what I'm I, that's, about. I do, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because after, after that that week when it's all done, you have it edited, and it's like, oh man, I can just go on the couch for like a week and not worry about anything. But then, but then like five days go by or something like that, and you just get really antsy, you know. <laughs> Well, I, you get, I remember like, really, really antsy and want to make another and want to make another start another project. Absolutely. Well, I, I remember I was down there for I was visiting you for the um, uh, Herc with the Heart of Gold, and you yeah. were just in the process of of just just wrapping that up as you were filming the last episode, and I was yeah. I was wrapping up prep start to all of the editing and DVD stuff and so forth, and both of us were like, oh my god, we're so busy. So anyway, here's here's my here's my idea for my next project, and we were both doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Like, like, what's even, wrong with us? Right. It's not even worried about the one we're working on now. It's like it's almost done. It's fine. I got to worry about. I got to look to the future. Mm-hmm. I feel bad now. I'm the only one without a project coming up. There's always time. Oh, no, exactly. I need a camera really bad, and I've got two other projects in mind that I just do not have equipment for. 1201beyond at gmail.com if you got a nice camera for sale. So, did, have either of you guys seen the trailer for the Adjustment Bureau? Am I the only I saw one? A theatrical trailer. Am I the only one that thinks it looks exactly like the Twilight Zone episode, A Matter of Minutes? I don't know. Well, I haven't seen an 80s episode of Twilight Zone in like 20 years, but I've seen a few trailers for the Adjustment Bureau, and I honestly can't really tell what it's supposed to be about. So I guess you know more about the plot to it than I do. I mean, it's not that I I think necessarily the Adjustment Bureau looks bad. I I just can't tell what the plot is supposed to be from looking at the trailer. I can tell that the the marketing is they're they're kind of trying to push it to look like um, uh, Inception. Oh, uh, yes, I I can see that, Ed, yes. Yeah, yeah. Inception meets like Mad Men and the Manchurian Candidate or something Gr- like that. Green light. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Sold. Seems like there's a little bit enemy of the state in there with the whole everybody chasing him down thing. As soon as I saw the trailer, I went and popped my DVD in of the Twilight Zone and watched the Matter of Minutes episode. Keep in mind, I have not seen the movie. The trailer looks looks like it's a huge budget version of that Twilight Zone episode. That's been something that's never really angered me too terribly much, I guess, because I I don't know I, I I've seen it happen before and I've seen the movies turn out just fine. Like, wasn't there an episode of like Twilight Zone or Outer Limits or one of them that was uh, 
that the Truman Show was sort of like Twilight Zone. Yeah, it was the episode. What, that was Twilight Zone. Okay. It was a Twilight Zone episode from season three called Special Service. Right, right. Uh, and you know, I I still like the Truman Show. I mean, yeah, I mean they're they're both very similar, but I still like it. I still think it works. So I don't get too terribly mad when something that like that happens. Well, I, I think I think both of us are sort of in a, a unique position where we kind of revel in uh, in ripoffery. And that yeah, and that's that's the thing too. I mean, like you and I, you and I especially love remixploitation. Mm-hmm. So and, and all those the, the Matei flicks, the Turkish movies, and all of that. So I think the fact that I don't get too cheesed when that happens with a with a with the more mainstream movie like the Adjustment Bureau. Stems from that 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 like I I like those I like it when B movies do that right but see for me I'm all about giving credit where credits due if, look at last week when I was complaining about Tarantino stealing from City on Fire it'd be one yeah. thing if they said hey this is a big budget remake of the Twilight Zone episode not basically pretending they've never heard of the Twilight Zone well and and, and, that, and that's absolutely true I just and, think uh, give credit to and yes I know it's based on a novel by Philip K Dick. But from what I've heard, the movie is nothing like the novel. Well, none like of next. the Philip K. Dick adaptations are based on, are actually based on the the written stuff. Blade oh, Runner man. really wasn't that far off from Androids, honestly. Well, I mean, there were a lot of. Fair, I, have, I haven't I haven't read Androids. I've read I've read the Total Recall. Um, Total Recall. That was like a seventeen page short story. It sure was. <laughs> and it had a much better ending than the movie. Mm-hmm. I loved the ending of the story. Have you seen Screamers, based off of uh, Philip K. Dick's Second Variety? No, I haven't. The Peter, the Peter Weller one? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Okay, movie's terrible. Read the story, Second Variety. Yeah. That is phenomenal. Actually, I have, I have it somewhere on my shelf. Yeah, I, I've got one of those collections. It's called, like, uh, Real Future, R-E-E-L. Mm-hmm. And the whole collection is the original short stories that big-budget movies were based off of. It's got the original Herbert West reanimators, Second Variety, stuff like that. I think I've got the same book. I think that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, I would say read Second Variety. It's a little rooted in the 50s because the Russians are the big bad guys in it. But if you can ignore that, it's a great story that's so much better than the crappy movie. Was it it better than Next? I haven't seen Next. Next wasn't very good. You saw Next, didn't you, Ed? Yeah, ugh. It really wasn't very good, and that was quote-unquote based on a short story from Philip K. Dick. Was it really? I didn't realize that. I, I went online and looked at the, at the differences between the the story and the movie, and if I remember right, well, the story is called, like, the, the Golden Arm, or the Golden Man, something like that, the Golden Man, and it's it's, like, post-apocalyptic and has to do with mutants. Right, because yeah, I remember I remember you were talking about the original book, the original story, and I, I, I guess I just didn't realize that it was Philip K. Dick. Wow. I've got a whole <laughs> shelf full of Philip K. Dick. It's unfortunately being blocked by a box of action figures right now. I can't remember if I have that Golden Arm one. I think I do. I don't. I've never read it, but I mean, well, I, 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 I to be honest, I don't have that many books. <laughs> you illiterate, you. I know, right? Well, I got movies that are subtitled. It seems. I yeah, guess that right. counts. It's, it's like it's yeah. like the same thing. It, it, like it does count, and and it's faster. It, you you can read it faster than a book. It only it's takes so like two much hours. faster. Oh, it's so much faster. But see, the thing with the adjustment bureau and the Twilight Zone is what really pisses me off about that is again the not giving credit, but also if a low budget direct to video movie had ripped off that same Twilight Zone episode and had the same story, yeah. it would be, have been t- it would be torn apart by the critics for being a shameless ripoff. Big-budget movies seem to get a pass, and I don't like that. 
like and also um, we, we were island. talking about yeah yeah <laughs> we, we were saying earlier like and, and thinking about it really the Italians and the Turkish exploitation and stuff like that they really they really did give credit where credit was due they honestly did so much so that they openly acknowledged that that's what they were doing well, and, and I think I think the advantage there is that in a lot of those cases, eh, maybe not the Italians so much, but um, certainly in the case of the Turkish films, they were they were localizing those movies. They weren't they weren't so, just ripping yeah. them off. And some of the, some of the Italians would 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 completely openly acknowledge that that's what they, that that's what they were doing. So much so to even calling the movie Terminator Two. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, look at. Um... <laughs> Look at what was it? Space wait, Mutiny? Wait, wait, not all Terminator? Of them. I don't think so. Remember the Red Brown movie Space Mutiny? How it blatantly yeah. used Battlestar Galactica footage? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't. And in that case, though, uh, probably they were not ripping it off. Probably what they did was they bought the stock footage from uh, Universal or whoever whoever owned the rights to Battlestar Galactica because they were they were selling uh, mm-hmm. a lot of stock footage from their properties uh, for a while. I remember actually. Um, Jim Wynorski, uh, one of the uh, Roger Corman, uh, I've got a bunch of his school at the time. He got he got tons of stock footage from like one or more major studios that was selling off a bunch of their stuff, making his movies look awesome. Uh, but really, yeah. he was just stealing footage from these major movies. Larry Cohen did that with God Told Me To. All the alien abduction footage is from mm-hmm. Space 1999, and he didn't realize yeah. it because Space 1999 hadn't aired in America for right. quite a while. He just bought a bunch of British spaceship footage, and then years later somebody told him that it was from a really famous science fiction show. Oh, my goodness. So he didn't even know. He just, hey, it looks like cool footage. I'll buy it. Man, oops. Yeah, oops. <laughs> well, speaking of the Turkish stuff, Ed, you import and release some of the Turkish stuff. How do you go about actually clearing all the rights for things like Turkish Rambo? It was kind of an interesting situation because that's the only one that I had, I had I've done it for, um, and I didn't know what I was doing going into it, but I contacted... Um, a friend of mine in Greece who does release a lot of those movies, and he got me in touch with the Turkish producers. And part of part of what I did was there are some things you just can't get around. Like it uses Rampage uses the music from Rambo: First Blood Part Two and Mad Max to the Road Warrior, and probably one or two other sources as well. And there was just no way we were going to be able to release that as is because there's no way I would have been able to get the rights to use that music. Um, yeah. So in that case, we just completely replaced the soundtrack, which gave us the opportunity to dub the film into English and then do a, new, a brand new score that was in keeping with the original ripped off score. And that was great. That was a lot of fun. And then otherwise, you've got a situation much like a lot of the Italian movies that got released in America, while they sort of follow the same kind of structure and use some of the same tropes and some of the imagery from the original American films. It's not really the same film. Um, mm-hmm. it's, a very, it's a very localized version of the film. And so you've got in Rambo uh, this uh, former Vietnam vet who sent into Vietnam to rescue POWs. And that's not, that's not a Turkish movie. Like, no one, in Tur- yeah. no one in Turkey would care about that. And so they completely changed the story to be about more to be more relevant, and so it's about the, the Kurdish conflict and so forth. And, and then it's, it's, it's no longer the same movie. It just kind of feels like the same movie. How hard was it for you to track down a copy of it? <laughs> um, actually, it was pretty easy. I think, gosh, I think originally I saw it... Oh no! You know, I didn't even like. I didn't even have to get a bootleg or anything. I just contacted the producers, and they sent me a DVD. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so then I got to watch it the whole way through and say yes, I would like to. I, it was just a screener. I said yes, I'd like to get this, and so then they sent it to me on a Betacam. 
was that one that you uh, that you really wanted to release? I mean, were there some others in your head where there was like maybe a few of them, like maybe I'll release this, maybe I'll release this. What made you uh, really narrow it down to to uh, t- to Rampage to Turkish Rambo? Well, actually, it was the other way around. Um, yeah, because I, I've sort of been kind of collecting a lot of these movies just. Um, mm-hmm. Because uh, I'm crazy, and <laughs> uh, a friend of mine uh, turned me on to uh, to that one, uh, saying, "Have you seen Turkish Rambo?" And showed me the YouTube clip, the sort of famous YouTube clip of of Serdar running around with the rocket, the, the pop gun <laughs> yeah. rocket launcher, and, and blowing stuff up. And I thought, this is amazing. Um, but I couldn't track down a copy with English subtitles or dubbed into English or anything. Yeah. And so and so that's when the idea hit me. What if I did that myself? And so that's when I contacted Bill and Greece and, and got that going. So rather than rather than looking for a particular film to release, I wanted to see that film in English. And so I just said, wow, what the heck, I'll do it. Have you ever seen 3 Dev Adam? Oh, yeah, I've got it. I love that movie. How, har- how hard would it be to actually get rights for that? Or would you never be able to clear the Marvel Comics rights for Captain America and, and, and evil knife-wielding giant eyebrow Spider-Man in that? Right, yeah, I mean, that's really the issue is, is that I'll bet you. I'll bet you. I could get the rights. I'll bet you. I could get the rights to Turkish Star Wars. It's it's getting the American rights to the American properties that I wouldn't stand a chance. Uh, with Rampage, we really managed to kind of circumvent it because it's it's not really Rambo. It just kind of uses some of the the imagery and the the structure of Rambo. But yeah. uh, something like Turkish Star Wars, something like Urch Devadam, you just can't because it's so obviously. Spider-Man and Captain America. And you, you got to talk to a lot of these guys too, right? Who were yeah, a little bit, yeah. The, what was how, how was how was what was that like? How cool was that? It was it was incredibly cool. I I, I didn't really <laughs> get to speak to any of them in person per se. I did, actually I exchanged um a, an I an IM conversation with Serdar, uh, the mm-hmm. Turkish Rambo himself on Facebook. Um, and that was cool. His English was, was, he was struggling with the English, and I don't know any Turkish, so it wasn't a very deep conversation. <laughs> sure, um, sure. We, we later worked out a, an interview thing, so I sent him a bunch of interview questions, and, and he recorded and sent it back to me, and so I've got that video. But, uh, and so I was able to relay some stuff to a translator and also to uh, Chetina Nanch, the director of, of Rampage, who's also the director of Turkish Star Wars, and that yeah. was amazing. He sent me back a whole bunch of autographed um, lobby cards uh, saying thank you so much and thanks for your interest in our films and you're great and stuff, and I was like, oh my god, the, dir- the director of Turkish <laughs> Star Wars thinks I'm great. <laughs> so, so that was kind of a mind trip. I'll bet. <laughs> what would be the problem with Turkish Star Wars? The actual use of the Star Wars footage? I mean, it would, it would be both. I had, uh, we, could, we could maybe get around the music, which, I mean, that one's that one's much bigger than the actual footage because you've got you've got you've got so much you've got so much music from so many different sources so you'd have to swap that out but then you've got all of the yeah, you've got all of the incorporated footage uh, from Star Wars and someone said to me well you can you can just cut that out and replace it with like new CG stuff and I'm like you're taking you would be taking all of the charm yeah. away from that film you'd, you'd be, be missing the point the away from you'd it. be missing the point of what makes the film enjoyable right and I mean yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a wonderfully mad film on its own even if you were to take that away but the hook is that it's how they repurposed Star Wars what's your idea for blatant ripoffs such as The Last Shark aka Great White the oh, film yeah. that was so close to Jaws Universal successfully to this day has still blocked its release in basically the English speaking world oh absolutely yeah, I um, like that movie. I I do too. It's better than Jaws five, or sorry, uh, Cruel Jaws. Cruel Jaws, right? <laughs> it is. It is better than Cruel Jaws, and and Cruel Jaws uses a lot of the same footage from well, it. And the Miami yeah, well, Vice it, it, soundtrack, it, 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 and the Star Wars soundtrack, and 
it, yeah. it, take, it takes all, all of the shark footage in Cruel Jaws is from Jaws movies and from The Last Shark. So it, mm-hmm. it is possibly even the only Jaws ripoff to steal from another Jaws ripoff. Oh, yeah, that one, uh, that one's entertaining. I'll give it that. It's fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, rather than ripoff, movies that are Americanized with new footage that makes them so different, such as I still have not seen the Corman version called Screamers, but I just watched the Italian version, Invasion of the Fishmen, of that movie. Oh, I don't know that one. But yeah, have but you it's... ever seen Screamers? It's the one, it's the one with the, the fish people. Mm-mm. No. It was like I only know the Peter Weller one. No, this is like 77, 78, somewhere in there. And Barbara Bach stars in it, and it's called Invasion of the Fishmen. And then Roger Corman got his hands on it, retitled it Screamers, thought it wasn't gory enough, so he cut 15 minutes of footage out, shot 10 minutes of new footage, most of it gore, as well as a new 15-minute opening, and re-edited the movie. So oh, it's, I, love, it's a, I love Corman. He's my hero. It's, it's, two, it's two totally different films that are essentially the yeah. same film, if that makes any sense. He he did that with um oh gosh Voyage to the Prehistoric Planet or Planet of the Prehistoric Women and yes of the, those are two this they they do the same thing it's there's a it's a Russian science fiction film and he didn't he do that uh, with War of the Satellites too um I, I think that, that was based him. on a Russian science uh, special effects footage and then he wrote his own story I think he did he did a bunch of them um he did at least he took at least a couple of of Russian films possibly more. And and shot new American footage and redubbed the whole thing and kind of got a free hoed it. Yeah, there was a movie that I had that did that and 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 I I, I uh, really have it. That doesn't anger me or anything. Like I'm, my favorite movie is Caligula. That's got new footage thrown all over that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, uh, there was a movie I had called uh, Zombie Holocaust, where here in the uh, in the states when it was released, Italian zombie movie. Here in the states when it was released, it was released under the title of uh, Doctor Butcher, M.D. Oh, okay. I've seen, I've seen the Dr. Butcher say, one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was Italian zombies versus Amazon cannibals movie. It's a it's a pretty fun flick. And the beginning of it's weird. Like, the beginning of it's really weird. They The American distributor for it shot footage of just random zombies rising from this grave in, in New York, I think, or somewhere, and just kind of walking through this, this tunnel, and then it, it cuts away, and it, it just never goes back again. But the the dumbest time that I, I think that I've seen something like that happen was uh, Sonny Chiba's The Bodyguard, where the the uh, the American distributors the American distributors for it they I think I think they own like a karate dojo or something like that. So at the beginning of the the beginning of the movie, it starts out with these two these two karate instructors debating each other on who is better, uh, Bruce Lee or Sonny Chiba. And they're like, no, man, Sonny Chiba can do this. And he's like doing stuff with nunchucks. And he's like, no, man, Bruce is the man, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, all right, all right. I guess I guess we can agree to disagree. And he goes, hey, by the way, where is Sonny now? He's like, oh, Sonny just hopped the plane to da, da, da. And then it, it dissolves into the movie. You are <laughs> kidding just, me. A dead wow. serious, man. Dead oh, my serious. gosh. <laughs> Well, it is so stupid. <laughs> I cannot wait to see that now. You know what that reminds me of? Have either of you guys seen The Dragon and the Cobra, also known as Fists of Fury, Fists of Death? Oh, oh, oh okay, yeah. Oh, I yeah, I've, I've that got title. that. I haven't seen it. It's yet. that, yeah. and I'm doing the quote thing with my finger, documentary on right. the death of Bruce Lee starring Fred Williamson and the great-voiced Adolf Caesar hosting it. <laughs> yeah. I believe I believe I started to watch that and I couldn't make it and I had to stop. I loved it yeah. just because that thing feels so 1970s. 
it, yeah. it reeks of a 70s TV documentary. If And if that's what the look they were going for, they totally succeeded. The part that just makes me go, really? Did you think people would buy this? you got to remember, Bruce Lee used to be on like some Cantonese soap opera at the beginning mm-hmm. of his career. Yeah, They take all his young footage from that, overdub it in English, and claim it's, a, it's lost home movies of Bruce Lee. Of course. Incredible. And I just, did you really think people would buy this? I mean, the other stuff's pretty unbelievable, but this is the point where all credibility's gone, and yet they're totally being serious about it. Look, oh, the only the only repurposed Bruce Lee footage I care about is is uh, Game of Death Two. I'm sorry, if it's not Game of Death Two, I don't care. <laughs> Game of Death Two is awesome. Game of Death Two is superior to the first one. Oh yeah, it is by far. I mean, you got that the scene with the lion, the and lion the under- man, the lion and the underground tower and and everything. It it really works. It's it's a really good movie. And they do a better job of integrating the the Bruce Lee footage from his other movies than, than they Game do a of far. Oh, yeah, they do a far, far better job. You don't have the uh, cardboard cutout <laughs> mask thing taped onto the mirror. Yeah, this, the second one does a far better job. <laughs> well, my favorite Bruce Bloitation, though, is still uh, uh, Dragon Lives Again. Yes. That is a good one, but I think just the first 15 seconds, the poster and the title for Bruce Lee Fights Back from the Grave makes that number one. <laughs> yeah, that I just, movie... The first 15 seconds, the only stuff that has to do with the title, is pretty damn cool, you have to admit. Yeah, I agree with that. And then the rest of the movie is really dull. The rest of the movie is so boring. I don't even know if I... I don't even know if I made it through the whole movie. I I don't think I did. I think I, I put it on one night and watched probably half of it and went to sleep and just didn't bother the next night or the night after or any other time to, to finish watching it. Well, Brad, I did basically the same thing. Except I, 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 did, I did make a point to finish it the next night, but I, I did fall asleep watching, the first, the, watching it halfway through. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think part of like maybe why I didn't finish other than I really wasn't enjoying it uh, was... I thought I was in my head. I was like, okay, well, maybe in the future, sometime, I might, I might do a snob episode of this. In which case, I mean, I'm not taking my notes right now, and I'd have to watch it again anyway. So, Brad, you sat through Chatterbox. Come on, it's the a Chatterbox kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Chatterbox. Well, Chatterbox, I sat through because I was taking notes on it and doing it for an episode. I mean, I wasn't sitting there just freely watching it like I was Bruce Lee bites back from the grave and like if i came across if i had been for some reason just watching chatterbox one night five minutes in i would i would probably be like all right i i gotta do this for an episode i i can't watch this right now because i'm not taking my notes and i would just have to watch it again so i i'll, I'll watch this later <laughs> all right to change the topic on you guys a little bit got ahead saw another thing this week that kind of pissed me off now it wasn't a new list but i saw two lists online immediately told me you know what? The people compiling these lists are under 25. Yeah. One was the 15 most disturbing horror films ever made. Yeah. Any list that includes Hostel and Saw on that uh, list is made by yeah. someone under 25. Yeah, it is. It really is. Or, or they're just trying to be cute by being by trying to be current. The only ones that I, I remember being old movies, and I could be wrong on the list, were Sallow, Brazil, yeah. and Deliverance. This is the list of the most disturbing movies. Yes, Brazil's okay. a good one for that list, though. Brazil's, mm. you know, the, Brazil's one of the my top five favorite films of all time. Director's cut only, I have to point out. Well, yeah, right. But I mean, obviously, 
And then I saw another list. This one was a couple of years old. It was in a magazine. I don't know what... I know Brad doesn't listen to this kind of music. I don't know what your style of music is, Ed. But it was the 100 most essential metal albums of all time. Only about 15 of those were made before 1990. Yeah. And it was all full of, like, Limp Bizkit and Slipknot and Metallica. And I just started thinking... This guy's under 25. You know, and he just threw it, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, and Iron Maiden in there to throw those people like me a bone, and that was it. I saw a list the other day that made me think that. I was looking at a list of, like, somebody, some website did the uh, the top 50 worst TV series of all time. Okay. And a lot of it was reality shows. I think which, reality shows should be disqualified from a list I like do, that. I do. I agree with that. I th- I completely agree with that. I think reality shows should just not even be acknowledged as television. That is that is how much I hate reality TV. Like, when you put them on any kind of list like that, even if it's a list like that that is singling stuff out for being the worst, you're actually giving them credit as being a television series. The only reality show I will call an actual TV show is the only one I've watched for a long time, and that's Cops. Sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's grandfathered in. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> that's the only one I'm really willing to give a pass to. Although I kind yeah. of impartial to hearing Chef Ramsay bitch at people that don't know how to cook. I do kind of like that on kind of a sick, you know, personal level. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So here's a here's a question along the lines of cops: Is this a series or not? Steven Seagal Lawman. <laughs> okay, Steven Seagal Lawman. It's a sitcom Steven without Seagal a laugh lawman. track. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Steven Seagal Lawman is is campy enough to be. Yeah, that I, and it's probably because I have a soft spot in my heart for Steven Seagal. Or I hear you. Yeah, it's, especially the early Steven Seagal. So that one, that one, I actually do watch every now and then. But it's so it, it's so campy. It's so campy. It's so really kind of over the top that it's it it, it it's definitely other reality type programming when it goes into Seagal vision. But you got to remember, Brad, at the same time, a lot of these lists also include talk shows. You see the Chevy Chase show and Arsenio Hall on that included in these lists. I don't think those should be included either. No, no, I, I, I don't either, and I think a lot of times when that happens, it's because the person making the list, especially if it's a list like this that has stupid reality shows on there, I think that they throw stuff like that in there, not having actually seen the show. TV Guide included the XFL. How is that actually a TV show? Right, right. Mm. I, I, and, and like, uh, I think that when someone, when one of those lists throws in like Manimal or My Mother the Car or something like that, those are the shows that just happen to be on a lot of those lists. And I disagree with Manimal being on those lists, but, but I think that a lot of a lot of them just put stuff like that on there just because they they they've seen them appear on other lists. I don't think a lot of I don't think a lot of those people have actually seen those older shows. Well, I think I think you're absolutely right, but then there's a there's a certain marquee value to uh a title like Manimal. Uh yeah. you, you you're like and if people haven't heard of that show and you're compiling this list, you type in Manimal and the gut reaction is like Manimal? That sounds terrible. <laughs> you get just like what you and Brad were talking about, people haven't seen these things. I see Baywatch Nights hit all these lists. I think Baywatch Nights is probably one of the ten best TV shows ever made, possibly for the wrong reason, but (laughs) I think it is an amazing TV show, and I actually emailed one of the people that put out one of those lists, and they had Baywatch Nights in the top ten, and I asked why he hated Baywatch Nights. He's like, oh, all I saw was some clips on YouTube, and it looked terrible. He'd never even seen a whole episode, and it was one of the worst TV shows of all time. 
Oh, screw that. Yeah, man. screw you. Baywatch all, Nights kicks ass, especially yeah, season Baywatch, two. Baywatch Nights, you know, we've said this before, it's far superior to the to the other Baywatch. The other two, didn't they have a Hawaiian spinoff too? Mm-hmm. Ugh. Was there really? Oh, I don't even I don't even remember that one. Yeah, there was a Hawaiian one also. I think that only lasted a couple of episodes, but they tried. You have to have at least... You know, like, I I don't expect a lot of people who make these lists to have seen every episode of the series, you know. But I, they at least have to have seen a few, you know, whole episodes, not just clips on YouTube. You have to have at least seen a handful of the show if you're putting them on this this list. On the same token, there are things like Cop Rock, which also hits a lot of these lists. And yeah. mm-hmm. people go, oh, the songs were so terrible. And yet, you got to remember, the songs were maybe 10 minutes out of each 47-minute episode. The yeah. rest was a pretty hard-boiled cop show almost onto the level of NYPD Blue. You know, they it were dealing really with ser- they were doing with ser- serial rapists. The pilot episode ends with a cop taking a suspect who's still handcuffed, putting him up against the wall and gunning him down in front of other cops and then making them cover it up. It was yeah, not a I, soft, goofy show. No, no, it, it wasn't at all. And I, I think that Cop Rock, Cop Rock, I think because the rest of it is so hard-boiled and the songs in it are so bad, are so bad is really why it just doesn't work as a show that it I really do think it's it's absolutely terrible. I mean, sure if you if you cut out the songs and look at the episodes, it's a far better show. It really is. It's actually good if you cut out all that stuff, but the fact that you're looking at it and it has that in there is just so it completely takes you out of everything, of every sort of dramatic element that's been going on and this and to make it worse, the songs aren't any good. <laughs> the songs are really catchy. I defy you to watch all 11 episodes and not be humming some of that crap in the back of your head a week later and then wanting to punch yourself to get it to go away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make it good. <laughs> true. Very true. Have you seen Cop Rock, Ed? I've seen one of the songs from Cop Rock. I tried to hunt down some, and uh, I had very little luck. I just managed to find one of the musical numbers from the first episode. I, ju- I just sent the whole series to Obscurus Lupa. Oh, oh yeah, nice. She's, she's, she's been watching them. She's been doing uh, Twitter updates. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, I didn't uh, put two and two together. I was like, Cop Rock, that sounds familiar. And yeah, I, I, just, I just sent her those. I just sent her those, and she actually was a little surprised at how hardcore the cop element was. It is. It's definitely when you take the music and stuff out of it. It is a Botchko show. It it really is. And and it has guest appearances from Howard Hunter from Hill Street Blues and two L.A. Law characters. I was gonna say even playing the same characters, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh-huh. it, you know, it, it actually is part of Botchko continuity. If you really want to get yeah. down to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like that, that, is. That, they, that they're in the same universe. Well, I like the fact, I, I don't know, are any of you guys practice fans, the old David E. Kelly show? I, watched I never it watched when it. Spader, when Spader showed up as Alan Shore, I started watching it. Well, okay, Gina Gershon had a show also by David E. Kelly called Snoops, where she played oh, yeah. pr- uh, private detective Glenn Hall. She showed up in that David Spader season as Glenn Hall, therefore linking Snoops to the practice, which is already linked to half dozen other shows due to their crossovers which is linked to Boston Legal, which is linked to Boston Public, which is linked to Chicago Hope, which is linked to the X-Files which is linked to Pricket Fences and so forth. Nice. Well done. Hey man, you know Manimal showing up on Nightman. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and Auto Man and Manimal being connected by that one little walking scene. Yeah, that little walk-on thing. 
You've also got um, Law and Order and Homicide Life in the Streets. Right, yeah. oh, and Homicide yeah. is connected to Chicago Hope, so that's part of that giant web. Because they had a crossover with Chicago Hope. Nice. I think there was another one. Chicago Hope had a crossover with St. Elsewhere, which, of course, is connected to Cheers. Yeah. And and techni- and and the White Shadow and Saint Elsewhere technically doesn't exist. So does that mean all the shows that crossed over with Saint Elsewhere don't exist? It's a conspiracy. I know, right? Yeah, exactly. There was there was an episode too of uh, of ER where like Sherry. The episode ended. It's been a while. This is back when I actually watched episodes of ER, um, uh, where Sherry Stringfield's character, uh, like her. Someone like her relative was killed or or something like that, so she had to go out of town to deal with that. And then that was followed up on on an episode of of some detective show or something, or maybe maybe it was a an, an ambulance series. What was what was that? Third Watch. That was it. That was it. Third Watch. Third Watch. That was the one. Well, and then you know, Picket Fences and the X Files had an explicit crossover where no main characters appeared hmm. because the, the the two episodes take they were written by Chris Carter and David E. Kelly specifically to take place in neighboring towns with a similar plot, and in each episode characters from the other episode are mentioned like, on Picket Fences, they mention the spooky FBI agent that just left. Mm-hmm. And then that's when and on the X-Files episode, Mulder's like, yeah, I was just over in Rome, Wisconsin, and so forth. Nice. So the, the, the crossover happened, just none of the main characters actually met on camera. That's brilliant. <laughs> Because uh, um, CBS and, and uh, Fox didn't want to work together. Yeah, that's really clever. You know, there, there are those kind of weird crossovers. And then you've got that giant web. Look at All in the Family's web. All in the mm-hmm. Family spun off the Jeffersons, which spun off Checking In. All in the Family spun off Maud, which spun off Good Times, which, which spun off What's Happening. It also, um, what was Archie the, Bunker's was Place. The, the one where he runs a bar. Archie Bunker's Place. And then yeah. Glor- Gloria got her own series. And then there was a, a really horrible version in the late 90s called 704 Hauser, where I guess it was part. The house. Yeah. It, well, and Joey appeared. Mike, Mike and Gloria's son, he appeared in the pilot as, oh, as, as Joey yeah. Stivick. So there, it was explicitly crossover, and it's it's a black family living in Archie's house. That was supposed to be the the heat where the humor came from. Well, that's that's just off of an in living color sketch. This is actually before. I maybe this was after that. It, yeah, but you remember that sketch though, right? Yeah, and with uh, Mark Wilmore. I, I love these giant webs of interconnected shows, especially yeah. if they get the continuity down right. When they don't get the <laughs> continuity right, oh, it becomes such a mess. Mm-hmm. And then saying elsewhere being revealed to not exist, that kind of screws all the shows that it had a crossover with. So does mm-hmm. that mean Cheers doesn't exist when they had an explicit crossover with Cheers? Cheers, then there's Frasier and the Tortellis. And <laughs> exactly. And, and, well, and then you've got the stuff like uh, Hill Street Blues and NYPD Blue being connected by a minor character. Remember the character of Buck Naked? He was the yeah. stripper, or that that flasher on Hill Street. His name was yeah. Buck Naked. Same actor played Buck Naked on NYPD Blue. <laughs> huh. So that explicitly links Hill Street and NY. I love when they do crap like that. Yeah, me too. But we're, we're wasting Ed here, so oh, Ed, no, you need no, to talk. This is great. I'm, I'm fascinated by this. I love I love stuff like that. Well, yeah. you need to talk. You're not here every week, so speak. Uh, arf, arf. <laughs> that works. Well, all right then. Have either of you guys ever seen the, and I'm going to put it in quotes, documentary by Orson Welles, F is for Fake? 
I just watched that. Oh my god! Oh, I just picked it up I from the library. We'll throw out a small plot spoiler because it's a thirty-plus-year-old movie. Orson Welles opens the movie saying, "Everything you see in the next hour is absolutely one hundred percent true." Oh, you're gonna throw in the spoiler? Yeah, oh. but the movie's ninety minutes long. So the entire last half hour is made up, and when you realize what what Wells just did to you, that he didn't really lie to you, but he yeah, got, but he yeah. got you, but he got you with that. I think that's one of the most brilliant ways to handle a fake documentary I've ever seen. Oh yeah, I was I I, I was so happy when that happened. I loved that because it's a it's a really fun little film. It's it's very it's very French because uh, he teams up with a French filmmaker, I believe, in order to, uh, to make it. And so it's very especially that last of, half hour. Of, yeah, I mean, it's very stream of uh, consciousness, very playful. It cuts around it's around. It doesn't really follow a continuous timeline, and you're sort of following two different fakers. Uh, but it's fun. It's it's a lot of fun. Don't don't treat it like a like a not discovery. You know, not not like an, not like an A and E documentary or a History Channel documentary. But uh, yeah. it's it's really neat. I, I know he made a lot of crap, but I'm a huge Orson Welles fan. I think he was one of the true visionaries of film. And uh, after Kane, he just never got his way. After that, it, it seemed like he could never get the money for the projects he wanted. I'm still dying. I want to see Other Side of the Wind. I can't tell you how bad I want to see Other Side of the Wind. Had fantastic taste in wine. <laughs> do you ever see I that have... outtake of him drunk? Yes, I have. Yes, it, isn't he going to do anything? <laughs> ah, the French. He's or so the, the wasted. Voice of him doing that other commercial, the where like the he's arguing with the uh, director. Frozen peas. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you're even better when you're dead. Oh, yeah. you're even just... better when you're dead. That's Mrs. Pell's fish sticks. I found yeah. a French fry in my beard. Give you the living will. <laughs> <laughs> See, he's parodied so much that people actually forget he really did invent a lot of cinematic techniques that we now take for for granted. Oh, he's yeah. he's marvelous. Oh, did, I have um, as you probably know, uh, in during the uh, '80s when Ted Turner was colorizing everything, yeah. Um, yeah. there was there was talk of him colorizing, colorizing Kane, C- Citizen Kane, and Orson Welles was like, "The heck you will." I, uh, you can say hell like, on this show. Oh, okay, cool. Well, the hell you will. Uh, you're not touching my film. Well, unbeknownst to Wells, I'm sure, Ted, uh, Ted Turner did send out copies of the movie to various colorizing firms to get test, tests back. And there was never a complete version of the film, but uh, there were some still image tests done from a couple of colorization houses, and there were some video tests done from a couple of colorization houses. I have seen that footage uh, because I did some I did some work digitizing it for the guy who literally wrote the book on Kane. If you look yeah. and you find like the book on the making of Citizen Kane, like he was one of my professors he uh, back in college. Cool. And so I I have worked with this colorization footage. It's it was like the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Be- not not because it's like wonky, but because it's colorized Citizen Kane. Is it? Are, would, is there any footage of that available? No, uh, like, well, like you, online or anything. No, you can't find it. You uh, because there were there were literally two copies. There was the copy that he owned, and then there was the copy that was in the vault at oh, well. at, at uh, whoever owns the RKO, RKO footage. I'll bet that was just jarring. <laughs> it's really weird. I brought it up before, but have you ever seen some of the released footage they have for Other Side of the Wind? Mm-mm, I don't know no. much about that one. That's that's the one he basically he ran out of funding. It was made in the oh, 70s right. where he would 
he would go like narrate a documentary like the late great planet earth get the money from that go film two or three days on other side of the wind he'd go do another documentary or a tv appearance and he was slowly filling it in and had this just phenomenal cast of like dennis hopper and peter fonda and shelly winters and yeah. and, and, and star john houston he died before it was completed peter bogdanovich who was a cast member and not a director at that point he owns all the original footage and there was only about he said it was about 97 percent done he's trying to put the money together to go re to go shoot the remaining footage from wells script and finally complete wells last great incomplete film yeah and i would love to finally see other side of the wind yeah yeah. i mean at being 90 7% 7% done? He probably only needed some pickups at that point. Yeah, yeah. I've seen I've seen movies that go through a real sort of dire situation like that finish when there's far less than that that still has to be shot. Godfrey Ho. Well, oh, yeah. it hardly counts. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but but certainly certainly when you're talking about a piece of film history from one of the biggest uh names uh ever in the business. Um, you, you, there's there's an art there's a there's an art, um, not quality, but there's there's you know it, it's important there's an importance to it, and it's uh, a historical it's, it's, it's quality. They, you know they they release they keep releasing new restored versions of Metropolis, and will still stick in intertitles when there's footage missing because, well, you got to see the film, however whatever is there. Well, it's like uh, I know I've got the DVD, and I know I'm being a lazy Orson Welles fan. How different is the DVD edit of Touch of Evil from the original? I've heard it's damn near a, new, a different film on DVD because they re-edited it based on his original notes, yeah. even though they can't find all the original footage that was cut out. So uh-huh. I'm just curious how how different of a film Touch of Evil is on DVD rather than my old VHS of it. I I have only seen one version, and I think it might have been the restored version. Okay, assuming it, assuming it didn't come out just recently, five six years ago maybe. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I probably saw the restored version, but I, I couldn't I couldn't compare them for you. I'm sorry. Uh, me too. I think I think that the only version that I've seen as well is the one that you're talking about because uh, I believe the first version of it I saw was was on DVD. Well, see, I, I believe that one of the one of the key differences was the opening. Well, the opening sequence is like broken up differently in the in the theatrical version, right? And it's just like one long, long ass tracking shot. Yeah, and that, and that's and that's the one I've seen. Okay, then yeah. yeah, I think you saw the restored version then. That's the one that I saw too. The one that had the long, uninterrupted tracking shot. Because to me, with Wells, what's funny is you have things like Touch of Evil, Citizen Kane, Other Side of the Wind, even like F is for Fake, and that, and then you see him popping up on. You know, high school documentaries, yeah, mm-hmm. and things like that. I mean, he was doing things he hated. Remember that that really bad metal band Manowar from the eighties? I think so. He actually he actually did two original tracks for them because it was his granddaughter's favorite band. So for a job, he recorded two horrible vo- metal voiceovers for this terrible <laughs> Iron Maiden ripoff. No way. <laughs> yeah, and he, he was in uh, my, my son's in high school. And he came home one day. He knows I'm a big Orson Welles fan. He goes, uh, we were watching this documentary from the 70s t- today in school, Dad. Orson Welles narrated it. He goes, I recognize the voice. Oh and it just kind of breaks your heart a little bit that he had to do all that. I mean, look at, he didn't even understand what he did for Transformers the movie. Yeah. In his last interview, he said something like, uh, I, I don't know, I'm a giant toy that's eating other toys. I don't know what the hell I was doing. I think, I think he didn't care more than he didn't understand. 
Right, right. Well, it just... Have you ever seen his final appearance on Merv Griffin? I mean, he literally died, like, a couple hours after he shot it. Oh, my gosh, no. No, I didn't see that. He's all skinny, and, I mean, he looks like he was about to die. And I think he died, like, three or four hours later sitting in his typewriter after leaving the studio. Oh, my goodness. And it's kind of somber to go, this was shot right before the man passed away of a heart attack in his hotel room. Yeah. And it's just kind of somber. So oh, to bring things back up a little bit, what have you? <laughs> what do you guys want to talk about? That's a little more uplifting. I've got a. I've got a. I do have an Orson Welles movie on a big box. Which uh, one? The, the The Witching. Oh. <laughs> Which version? <laughs> Which version? Oh, I don't know. I don't even know if I've watched it. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. The, the The big thing will be whether it has nudity in it or not. If it has, no, I, if it has nudity, it's the re-edit. Okay. Because uh, originally the film was considered kind of boring. Personally, I disagree, but it was yeah. considered boring. That's back when it was called like a necromancy, something like that. When I saw it, uh, it was under a different title. I haven't watched it since I got the VHS. The the thing to look for will be: Do you know the B movie actress Brink Stevens? Yeah. Look for her. One of her very first things was when they shot new footage for that in the early '80s. She's like a nameless party girl with her boobs hanging out in in one of the added scenes. So even though the movie was shot ten years before her first thing, she's in, she's in the witching. So it's like uh, Suzanne Summers and Magnum Force. <laughs> Something kind of like that, except she actually shot her stuff for Magnum Force. Bring Stevens didn't <laughs> true. didn't actually shoot her footage for the witching. She shot it for the re-edit of the witching. But the witching actually isn't bad. Orson actually doesn't look bored like he does in a lot of the stuff where he yeah. clearly did not want to be there. He looked like it most times. He does. He looked like he was having fun with really what's a mediocre night gallery episode is well, really what good. it comes down to. It's a mediocre night gallery episode with Orson Welles. Well, Ed, didn't they? Didn't they do that with uh, uh, certain shots for Deathstalker too? What? Oh, insert new footage or? Yeah, insert like uh, stuffed like the naked girl there dancing. Wasn't that shot later? Oh yeah. Well, Corman Corman was notorious for that. I mean, he would he would have one of his filmmakers. He would produce a film. He get have one of his filmmakers shoot the movie. He'd look at it and say, okay, there needs to be boobs here, 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 and here. And yeah. so they'd go and he'd shoot insert shots of of topless women and then cut that into the movie. Oh, he did it all the time. Piranha, the breast where she uh, shows the soldier to get by him. That yeah. was not that was not the actress. The actress wouldn't do it, so those are stunt breasts. Oh, nice. That's Joe, right. That's right. I remember. Joe that. Dante says that, that on the commentary. Yeah, th- th- those are stunt breasts. She she refused to do it. Oh man! And once again, produced by Corman. Exactly. 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 So we're we're actually out of time here. So I want to thank Ed Glazer from Dark Maze Studios for popping in this week. I want to thank Brad for being here and not having died. Of course. I don't know. Billy, the, Billy the Kid versus Dracula was, was one that could have maybe killed you. And <laughs> I'm sending you two unreleased D'Amato movies. I don't know if you'll survive those. Oh, I'll be fine. I can take it. <laughs> yeah, I can take those. It's so fine. you can contact us at 1201beyond at gmail.com. And I'm saying good night. Say good night, guys. Good night,
Pressure of being taken seriously. 